His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Coming at you previously recorded from our one-bedroom apartment, it's the TBD Awards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Presented by His and Hers Horror. Yes. With no sponsors, just patrons from Patreon. And the frozen pizza we'll eat later. And, well, they're not promoting us. And that's true. They're not paying us to promote what kind of frozen pizza we're eating later. So, just guess, I everybody. Hi, my name is Tia. And I'm David. And we are doing an award show because a month and a half ago, I decided that sounded like a great idea. <laughs> Let's watch a year's worth of movies in a month and a half, in addition to the stuff we already have to watch. Which then, you know, <laughs> created us needing to take a, a one week break off so that we could catch up because it's really terrifying to have an episode coming up in two weeks and you've got 27 movies to watch. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. We'll definitely do this different yeah, next year. Like, like as we go and like notes and yeah, things. Yeah, definitely. So we posted the list mm-hmm. of nominees on our website and then the, the had links through social media. So hopefully everybody's looked at the list. I know at least four people have. That's fair. That's four of you. Well yeah, done. Congrats. Thank you. So we will do this similar to the way that they do it in other shows where we'll be like, this is the category and here's who's nominated. Right. The difference is when we tell you who won, we're hopefully going to at least be able to tell you a little bit about why. Yeah. And every single movie that is nominated for something, we watched. Both of us. Both of us watched them sometimes together, sometimes separately. Sometimes both. Yes. Occasionally. All right. So let's get into it. Yeah. No preamble. No well, opening Well, no further act. preamble. My dancers called. They said so, they, so they couldn't make it. And we they couldn't said, get Billy Crystal. No. Well, and how are we going to do dancers I don't know. in a podcast? I, guess. I do like the sound of tap dancing. Okay. <laughs> no. Okay. Anyway. So the first category that we are looking at is best fight choreography. Mm-hmm. Kicking it off strong. Yeah. And this best fight choreography is the film overall, not one particular fight. It's all over the place, basically. Like, throughout the film. What had good fight choreography? Good fights. And the nominees are Mm -hmm. Gunpowder Milkshake, Free Guy, The King's Man, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Eternals, and Black Widow. That's some super powered heavy hitters in there. Mm-hmm. And the winner is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I feel like this movie, when it comes to the fights, went from strength to strength. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't any one person, because yes, we do have Sean, mm-hmm. but then we also have his sister and his dad and all the people of Tai Lung. Yeah. It's just, it's well-rounded fighters across the board. Yeah. Just hopping literally from strength to strength. Right. From the the bus fight to the scaffolding fight to the 
the fight in the ring, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. then the fight with the rings, and yeah, back the- and forth with the rings. I mean, granted, you know, some of that was helped by some digital magic, but yeah, the the choreography itself was solid. The other thing I thought was really cool when you look at the the fight choreography is the amount of work, the preparation that went into it. Mm-hmm. So like uh, Simu Liu. Mm-hmm. I believe that's how his name is pronounced. Mm-hmm. He studied like seven to ten different forms of martial arts. Like he he looked at Tai Chi and Krav Maga and there's all kinds of stuff to prepare for this. And I just think that that it really reflects. Yeah, that really shows a level of preparedness that you don't always see all the time. That's true. So our next category is best action set piece. Hmm. Now, how would you describe an action set piece? I would say an action set piece is something that takes up a scene that is in one place that lots of action takes place within. Some examples of some very tense ones like uh, the car theft jumping through building to building from whichever fast movie that was. Yeah. Actually, here's the biggest one. The Normandy landing. Yeah. That's that's from Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. It's a massive action set piece. Yeah. So the action set pieces we have chosen, mm-hmm. the nominees are the jail police station fight mm-hmm. from Malignant. Yeah. The bus fight from Shang-Chi. Mm-hmm. The scaffold fight from Shang-Chi. Yeah. yeah. The hospital fight from Gunpowder Milkshake. The library fight from Gunpowder Milkshake. And the no man's land sequence from The King's Man. Ooh. Lots of heavy hitters there. Mm-hmm. And the winner is the hospital fight from Gunpowder Milkshake. Mm, yeah. And it's just, you've got these three hit men that are high off their asses on laughing gas. And then you have Karen Gillan's character, whose arms have been... Chemically paralyzed. Chemically paralyzed. So she has a knife taped to one hand and a gun taped to the other... And is just kind of windmilling through, taking out these guys. It just, it's very impressive, yeah. I think. What I find impressive is the amount of action that takes place in a narrow hallway. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really brings me back to some of the stuff that you see from The Raid. Is another yeah. good, tight, intense fight. The first season of Daredevil had a really good one, too. Known as the hallway fight. The hallway yeah. fight. And then uh, Old Boy also has a really good one. Yeah, yeah. De- definitely uh, definitely some creativity used uh, in that set piece. And, I mean, maybe we're using action set piece a little a little incorrectly, but that's what we're looking at is, yeah. is something that makes a whole sequence and really just stands out. Right. So best visual effects overall is our next category. So our next category is best stunt performance individual. And this is just like the film again, from start to finish was just great stunts, great fight choreography. It was amazing all the way through. So as far as stunts go, just the best. Yeah. The best of the best of the best. Our nominees are (laughs) Black Widow, Mm -hmm. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Free Guy, Malignant, The King's Man, and Gunpowder Milkshake. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, again, a tough class to pick a favorite. Mm-hmm. Some of these we did struggle on. I think this one was fairly easy, just when you look at some of the stuff that was done. Mm-hmm. The winner is Malignant. Yeah. Because the Gabriel backwards movements, and that was done by a person. Yeah. 
So Marina Mazeppa mm-hmm. is the person that, that did the physical performance for Gabriel. And I just feel like she did such an amazing job because it would not have occurred to me that that was an actual person doing those movements. Yeah. It would have been so easy for, for them to figure out uh, some sort of a computery way to do it. Or just play tape backwards or something. Something. But no, I just, she did an amazing job and I feel like it makes the movie, if that makes any kind of sense. Oh, yeah. It makes every part of the movie. And then seeing a fight where everything is in reverse, including, I mean, I'm just trying to move my arms that way. And I'm just like, eh, yeah, no, that's that's clunky. And yeah, I, I, I can't. Yeah. Granted, I'm not as flexible as I used to be, but. It's still, it's, it's very impressive. If you haven't already seen Malignant, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Even if horror's not really your thing, just from a from a technical standpoint, I think it's very impressive. Yeah. Our next category, best visual effects overall. Ooh, sparklies. Sparklies, CGI, practical effects also can come into explosions. Yeah. All the kinds of good stuff that people love. Mm -hmm. And typically I hate the I hate to say popcorn movies but there are some movies where it's just like you know it's just fun it's not everything has to be art but these are artistic in their own way well and visual effects don't necessarily have to be all explosive spectacles they can also be transporting us to a whole nother place right so the nominees for best visual effects overall Mm -hmm. godzilla versus kong jungle cruise (laughs) free guy the suicide squad the Matrix Resurrections, and Eternals. Yeah. And I made a hard case for Jungle Cruise just because there were portions that because of some of my phobias, I was not able to watch. Mm. But ultimately, we had to go with the one that looked the best and did the most interesting things when it comes to visual effects. So the winner is Free Guy. Which if you think about it, it's almost entirely based on visual effects. It really is. It's... It's enough. It's one of those movies. We had this situation several times while going through these movies that we watched for this, mm-hmm. where we felt like the movie was just marketed wrong. Oh, absolutely. Because the marketing for Free Guy vastly undersold it. Yeah, I feel it's so much more than just a NPC in a video game realizes that he is an NPC in a video game. It's way more than that. Yeah, and just the cute visual effects. And some of the the nods to different things. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to be a gamer to enjoy it, but if you've played video games in the past 30 or 40 years, oh my God, saying 30 or 40 years for video games. Yeah, I know. That makes me nauseous. But if you have, then... It definitely helps. You're going to see references, even back into the 80s, there's little references and nods. Mm Mm-hmm. So we are moving from visual effects and choreography to costumes. Another type of look. Another type of look, yes. We could have done costume design just like costume design and put everything in one place, but I feel like that does a disservice mm. to the various subgenres because what you would consider the best costume design for a drama is not necessarily what would be considered the best for an action movie or a science fiction movie or a right. horror movie. It's subjective based on the genre, I feel. Right. And a lot of work goes into getting those specific looks and probably shouldn't be hidden during a commercial break. Precisely. So no commercials. Yeah. Like we've ever had any. We don't have sponsors, so we don't have to do commercials. 
And we wouldn't hide anything behind an ad break. <laughs> Actually, this portion of the TVT Awards is brought to you by my mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. So <laughs> Welcome back. We're doing we're doing more stuff. Anyway, this is Buck Wild. This is the first year we've ever done anything like this. I'm sure we'll. Actually, it'll probably be about the same next year. <laughs> it it'll just be less work at the very tail end, That's and we'll, true. we'll be able to work on it as the year goes on. That is so true. Even okay. though we're already three months behind. Yeah, yeah. Three. <laughs> it's better to be three months behind than it's already a new year has started. Fair. All right. So we have the costume design broken down a little bit into various genres. Mm -hmm. So first we're going to look at best costume design for a horror movie. Mm. The nominees are Fear Street, Malignant, Army of the Dead, Prisoners of the Ghostland, Willy's Wonderland, and The Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It. Mm. And the winner is going to be Fear Street. Absolutely. I feel like, and, and people may have a problem with us having Fear Street on here, but here's the thing. It's not three individual films. It is one long movie that was released in bite-sized chunks, basically. Yeah, three individual films that tied together to make one... One cohe long, cohesive story. Yeah. So I feel that each section, it felt like, it felt right. The look felt correct. For whatever decade or year it was a part of. Absolutely. So I like, mean, the, the part in the 90s stole half my friend's wardrobe. Uh, Maya Hawk, her character looked like someone who could have been my babysitter. Mm -hmm. and I just and then to go back to 78, it had this it had the look of the 70s and was very reminiscent of late 70s, early 80s slasher films. Yeah. And it just the costuming all around, I felt, was very good. Next is best costume design for an action or science fiction film. Mm, that gives us a wide range. Yeah, and I think this is one of the ones that we debated on for a little bit. Yeah, a while. Uh, so best costume design action sci-fi. The nominees are Gunpowder Milkshake, The King's Man, The Suicide Squad, Eternals, Black Widow, and Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And as much as I wanted to give it to Suicide Squad, David made a compelling case, so the winner is Eternals. I love how you just hand the, uh, the if you disagree with it, blame David. I didn't say that at all. <laughs> no, my, my main case for the Eternals is, okay, yeah, you've got this group of people, yeah, they've got costumes too, but what I was really focused on was the different time periods mm -hmm. they recreated in costume and then they're kind of blending in with the locals costumes and even their modern day outfits were reflective of each of the individual characters and their and their traits so it was a whole throughput of visual design in mm -hmm. costume to tell us so many things other than they're wearing clothes it's right. telling us where we are and if there's a flashback i know exactly which section in time we're in Based on the outfit. Yeah. And the, some of that stuff was so pretty. Mm-hmm. Minari's outfit, I think, was one of, probably one of my favorites. Fair. Next up, best costume design for a drama or musical. Ah, uh, yes. This is another one that we really, <laughs> we really debated on this one. Yeah. Our nominees are Cinderella, Everybody's Talking About Jamie, Spencer, Judas and the Black Messiah, 
The Eyes of Tammy Faye, and Nightmare Alley. It's hard to believe all of those movies came out in the same year. I know. It's amazing. It's the amount of stuff. I mean, because we're still in the middle of this, of, of a pandemic. Yeah. And the the kind of art that we're still getting is just mind-boggling to me. Yeah. So this is another one where I, I think you were dead set. Yes. On, on the winner for this one. Yes, I was. I was waffling between two. Mm-hmm. And as much as I love Cinderella and the look, especially Billy Porter's Fab G look. Right. Ultimately, we had to give it to Spencer because the costuming basically is another character. Yeah. Her choice to wear an outfit that was not for the time she was supposed to be wearing it. Like, that's the dress she was supposed to wear to this. Why is she wearing it now? It becomes part of the story and part of the characterization. It becomes important. And not just for her, but for the staff Mm -hmm. and for everybody else. I mean, at a glance, you can tell who is staff, who is not, and piece everything together. You can read the room. Yeah. And honest, that Chanel dress Mm -hmm. and that the recurring pearls. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Don't get me or her started on those pearls. Oh. Yeah. So angry. But yes, yeah, so Spencer is is our pick for best costume design drama or musical. So the last of the visual categories, we again divvied these up by the same subgenres. Correct. And that would be makeup and hair. Yes. Because you can't again, you can't really judge the makeup that would be used for a horror movie with the same parameters as the makeup you would use for a drama film. Right. It's a completely different kind of makeup. And both of those could be used in an action film. That's true. So best makeup and hair for a horror movie. Mm. The nominees are Fear Street, Malignant, Candyman, Black Friday, Army of the Dead, and Werewolves Within. Mm. And the winner for this one is going to be Candyman. Yeah. Because that fucking bee sting that just gets worse and worse until it got to the point where it was peaking one of my phobias and I couldn't look at the screen anymore. I could. You could. Yes. But I I was just like, nope, I can't look at him anymore because it's just too much. <laughs> it's amazing how an individual minor injury mm-hmm. takes on a life of its own through the course of the movie as things progress. Because it's getting like, it starts out as just a bee sting. Mm-hmm. And then it gets progressively worse to the point where it's like he's losing fingernails and it's worked all the way up his arm to where mm-hmm. it's just like his arm is necrotizing. But he's just ignoring it because he's so deep in the psychosis of Candyman mm-hmm. that he just is, it's like he's not even paying attention to it. And even beyond that, you have such fantastic hair and makeup stylings Mm -hmm. for every character, whether it's another take on within the history of Candyman or if it's a flashback or present day. Mm -hmm. Every piece of it tells a cohesive story. Absolutely. Next, we will be looking at best hair and makeup for an action or science fiction film. Yes. Mm -hmm. The nominees are Gunpowder Milkshake, The King's Man, The Matrix Resurrections, The Suicide Squad, Free Guy, and Jungle Cruise. Mm -hmm. And the winner is 
the Suicide Squad. I made a very hard case. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. For Suicide Squad. I don't remember what you originally... You originally wanted Matrix Resurrections. That's correct. But you had a solid case and won me over. Mm-hmm. What was my case again? <laughs> oh, yeah. Shit coming off a of polka dot man's face. Um, yeah, uh, the, the prosthetics for polka dot man and Harley's differing looks throughout. Mm-hmm. Ratcatcher, her messy makeup and messy hair thing. And then there's the thinker with all the bits and bobs coming off of his head. Right. I think it was just overall was very well done. Fair. So finally, for best hair and makeup from a drama and musical, drama or musical. Yeah, they don't have to be a drama and a musical. Yeah, Otherwise, we'd have like two. Yeah, that's true. The nominees are The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Cinderella, Everybody's Talking About Jamie, Spencer, Nightmare Alley, and Pig. Mm, and the a broad spectrum. It, it really is. Oh, well, that's the thing with drama, the drama musical category, is it can be so wide. It's just insane. The, the stuff that can be side by side. Oh, yeah. In, these, in this kind of category. Uh, so the winner is The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Mm. And not just because of how amazing they... They made Jessica Chastain look just like Tammy Faye. Mm-hmm. And I I think even when we first saw the trailers, when it got to the end and it revealed that that was Jessica Chastain, I'm like, bitch, no, it isn't. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Yeah. <laughs> but not just her, but turning Andrew Garfield into Jim Baker and turning Vincent D'Onofrio into Falwell. I didn't even know that was D'Onofrio. Yeah. Because, well, I mean, shit, the last thing we saw him in before that was what? Hawkeye when he was Wilson Fisk again yes so yeah not the same not the chameleon man yeah exactly he's a big chameleon dude he is so yeah eyes of Tammy Faye if you haven't watched any actually I'll say that for most of these movies if you haven't watched it I highly recommend it but the eyes of Tammy Faye just does such a good job of telling her story yeah and this I'm just gonna plug a little thing right here for for being open to other genres of film Mm mm-hmm Half of the movies on our list, I initially had no interest in watching. Mm-hmm. And then I did and went, wow, I'm glad I watched it because it was actually good. Yeah. So, you know, not not to give anything away, but like there are so many movies that yeah, in were, the prep. were way under my radar or like Tia mentioned earlier, I looked at the trailer and went, why would I want to watch this? Right. And then I watched the movie and went, what were these people smoking creating this trailer? Because... If I went by trailer alone, I wouldn't have watched half these movies. Yeah. Like, it's to the point where I don't want to show David trailers anymore. I want to watch trailers after I watch the movie so I can be like, okay, you guys did a good job. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about the visuals, the mm-hmm. makeup, the special effects, the fight choreography. What about the sound uh, yes. of a movie? Kind of intrinsic to uh, a talking picture. It is. And by sound, we're talking about the music. Mm. Because we don't know enough about this stuff to really get into sound design. <laughs> yeah, no. Right. No. But for me, music is a very... It sounds dumb to say music is a very important part of my life, but it really is. Mm-hmm. I use music as a therapy tool. I listen to sad music when I feel sad. If I'm angry, I have angry music. If I want to pump myself up, I have playlists for like when I'm trying to be like get the energy to do something or music for when I'm wanting to put myself in like a positive headspace. Mm. 
And then I also have music that I find very soothing. I think I've mentioned before that like the music that I listen to when I need to center myself that makes me feel calm is Fleetwood Mac's Rumors album. And that is because when my mom was pregnant with me, that was the album that she could listen to that would always would just I would just be chill. Hmm. And so to this day, that album, I find very calming. Interesting. So music to me is very important. Yeah. And I feel like you're probably the, the same way or at least similar. I use music as a tool. I guess you could say as therapy, but I use it a little differently. I use music to tell me how to feel. So if I'm in a funk, I will, if I'm not playing some funk, I'll put on something that will help me redirect. Yeah. If I need to focus on a project, then I've got playlists for music that, that I have identified that has helped me focus. Yeah. And in the same way with film, if I don't catch a, a piece of dialogue or if I don't get a nuance of something, maybe something's completely outside of my depth of understanding, the music will tell me, hey, something important just happened, or maybe it'll just play a jam that I like. Yeah. So, I mean, either way, it, music to me is, is the, the emotional heart of a lot of media. Yeah. And, well, I mean, music itself is music. Because they're, and, and the thing I like about music in film is if it's done right, it really represents the moment in that film. Mm -hmm. But then there's also been times where I've been watching a movie and I'm loving the movie. The movie is great, but I'm hearing this song and I'm like, what song is that? Because it's amazing and I want it and I'll have to pull out my phone and get Shazam open and be like, okay, what song is this? Right. Because I want it on a playlist. <laughs> I've done that countless times, even in prep for this. Yeah. So the first category we're going to look at is best soundtrack. Yeah. And this is, it's different from score, where score is something that is written directly for the film. <laughs> Whereas a soundtrack is cultivated pieces of existing music. Fun fact. Yeah. Um, back in the early days of CDs and not knowing the difference between a score and a soundtrack, I really wanted You Could Be Mine from Guns N' Roses, but initially my mom wouldn't let me buy Use Your Illusion 1 and Use Your Illusion 2, so this is early 90s. So I thought if I got the Terminator 2 soundtrack, I would get that song. What I got was got Hans Zimmer's score, so I got to listen to a lot of dun 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 but not a lot of... Not yeah, not not a lot of uh, you know er, er, early '90s Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Um, hey, you know it music, happens to the best of us. Don't music taste changes, but that you know that was also back when CDs were like twenty-five to thirty dollars a piece. Yeah. So I just kind of said, "Yes, this is exactly what I wanted," and smiled and went about my business. Yeah. So examples of good, well-cultivated soundtracks. Quentin Tarantino is always very good at soundtracking his films. Oh yeah. Pulp Fiction specifically is great. James Gunn is also very good at soundtracking his films. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to remember who else. Those are the main two. Another one that really fits with its film is the soundtracks to Forrest Gump and The Big Chill. I was going to say The Big Chill. Yeah, yeah, The Big Chill is just like the quintessential soundtrack because it just it speaks so well of that film. Another really good movie that if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. So our nominees for Best Soundtrack are... Sing 2, Fear Street, Free Guy, The Suicide Squad, Gunpowder Milkshake, 
and Judas and the Black Messiah. And our winner is Fear Street. And here's why. The soundtracks that they cultivated are so so well representative of the decades in which those films take place. Granted, some of them are off based on release date by a little bit, but the songs are still so 90s. Yeah. Couple examples. We've got Only Happy When It Rains by Garbage for, this is for 1994. Machine Head by Bush. Sour Times by Portishead. Damn, I Wish I Was Your Lover by Sophie B. Hawkins. Creep by Radiohead. All indicative of mid-90s. All very, very mid-90s. And then you look at 78. If I recall, 78 had Captain Antoniel and and David Bowie. Yeah, so it's uh, Love Will Keep Us Together. Mm Mm-hmm. Cherry Bomb by The Runaways, Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cults. And the the other thing I like is that it uses some songs that you wouldn't think would be used. Because like, if you're going to pick a David Bowie song to represent the 70s, Moon Age Daydream is probably not the one you're normally picking. Well, and that's one of two Bowie songs. And they use the 90s to the 70s as a through line because that section of the film. Yeah, they use two different versions of The Man Who Sold the World. First, the Nirvana version from Unplugged at the beginning when it's in quote unquote modern day in the nineties yeah. and then later bring us the David Bowie version. Mm-hmm. And that's just the sound weaving. It's so used. smart. Yeah. It's, and I, believe it or not, I'm, I'm seeing the praise of this. I was actually against this as uh, initially, but you won me over. Thank you. I make, I try and make good arguments. You, you do. Yeah. You do make good arguments. I win some too though. I know. I'm aware. <laughs> No, I'm telling them. I know you know. Oh, okay. (laughs) If anyone knows, it's me. Moving on to best adapted song. Mm. What is an adapted song? So an adapted song is a song that already existed Mm. in some other format. So it could be a a song that was originally recorded by another artist and has been re-recorded. It could be something that's from, um, a lot of the times it's like an existing musical. Okay. So like something that was performed on Broadway and then they make it into a film. So that... like most of the soundtrack to uh, that fantastic uh, Cats movie that came out a while no, back. No, no. Well, those are all adapted songs. They though. are adapted songs. You are correct. I'm allowed not to... a good movie. I'm allowed to think it's good. Okay. So for best adapted song, our nominees are... A Sky Full of Stars from mm. Sing 2. Could Have Been Me, also from Sing 2. Therapy from Tick, Tick, Boom. Louder Than Words from Tick, Tick, Boom. 96,000 from In the Heights. Mm. And Shining Star from Cinderella. The winner is Could Have Been Me from Sing 2, which was originally written and performed by The Struts and was re-recorded here by Halsey. Yeah. And this is one song that ever since I watched Sing 2, I have this song, this version of this song now on three different playlists. I have listened to it at least once a day, every single day since I watched Sing 2. I'm already getting to where I'm learning the lyrics so I can sing it in the car. That's adorable. It just, it's a, it makes me so amazingly happy. And that's the thing is because this is within the narrative of the film that planet that's because each song is is representative of a different planet within mm. this out of this world show that they're doing if you don't know what we're talking about go watch sing Two. go Come watch back. sing Two. it's great it's fantastic it's so good but the planet that portia is on the character played by halsey is supposed to be the planet of joy 
Right. And the fact that this song just makes me feel so fucking happy, it, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. It was the perfect song for that, I think. Yeah, I agree. Now we move on to best original song. Okay, so this is like brand new for a film. This is written for this film. Never before seen. Precisely. World premiere. <laughs> you know, award shows and stuff like to do, right. do that, so I just figured that's our one. Yeah, fair. So the nominees for best original song... This Was Me from Everybody's Talking About Jamie, mm. My Own Drum from Vivo, Million to One from Cinderella, Surface Pressure from Encanto, We Don't Talk About Bruno from Encanto, and Your Song Saved My Life from Sing Too. These, this one was hard. This, this one took a lot of back and forth. Because there's several of these songs that I have on playlists now. Ultimately, I I, ma- I think I made a good case for the song that made me feel the most. Mm-hmm. So the winner is Surface Pressure from Encanto, mm-hmm. written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, performed by Jessica Darrow. Fantastic song. It's such a great song. And it's Encanto in general is just such a it's a good film. If you want to confront emotions and family issues. Yeah. That's, honestly, that's Disney's whole thing right now. Right now? Well, even <laughs> you know, they're very much about making you confront your trauma. Yeah. And the last couple films they've done, both Encanto and their newest one, Turning Red, I think is what it's called. Yeah. There's no villain villain. It's it's like confronting your emotions. Mm-hmm. Kind of the kind of thing. It's just Surface Pressure is one of those songs where if you are the oldest kid in your family, it will make you cry and or, it will make you feel things. Or if you're the youngest in your family and you don't really think about them much but you also have the weight of everything you do on your shoulders uh, Mm -hmm. for your you know things you do outside of your family yeah it can feel the same way everybody i've talked to who is an oldest child identifies with this song Hmm. because after mom watched i asked her i was like okay which song made you cry the hardest and it was surface pressure Hmm. which song do you identify with the most surface pressure yeah and i felt the same way so yeah So our last music category is best score. Mm. And this was another one that was difficult. (laughs) Yes, it was. I'm going to say the nominees and then I have a little bit of, I want to talk a little bit about them. Sure. I know that's not necessarily what most people do, but we're not most people. So the nominees are Frank Ilfman for Gunpowder Milkshake, Mm -hmm. Johnny Greenwood for Spencer, Rob Simonson for Ghostbusters Afterlife, Alexis Gropsis and Philip Klein for Pig. There's several names I have to say for the next this next one. Marco Beltrami, Marcus Trump, Brandon Roberts, and Anna Drubich for Fear Street. And Daniel Hart for The Green Knight. I do want to at least give a little bit more recognition to two of these. Rob Simonson for Ghostbusters Afterlife did a very smart thing. He brought in some of the nostalgia beats musically Mm -hmm. that we all grew up with when watching the original Ghostbusters. But he also fleshed stuff out and made it his own. To where you're like, you're hearing some of the the familiar things and and you're getting hypey about it. But then he also has like little different nuances. Yeah, little little flourishes that say, hey, you're still watching a Ghostbusters movie, but we're going to go in this direction. We're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And then if, as, as the soundscape starts to kind of stray away from what you're familiar with, it comes back around like a, like a wisp. Yeah. Just, just coming back through and saying, we're still here. It's still okay. Mm-hmm. 
And then the the group for Fear Street. So Marco Beltrami was the main composer for the films. Mm-hmm. But for each film, he co-wrote with somebody else. So for 94, he worked with Marcus Trump. 78, it was Brandon Roberts. And 1666 was Anna Drubich. And the thing that I like about the scores for those movies is each one sounds like, like 94, the score for that sounds like a mid-90s slasher film. Yeah. The score for 78 sounds like golden age of horror. A little bit of Psycho, a little bit of mid to late 70s slasher. A little bit of Friday the 13th. Yeah. It's just, it's so nice. And then for 1666. 1666, it's just, it's very, it does sound old timey and very simple, but also complex. Yeah. Ultimately, though, I had to go with the score. We had to go with the score that made us feel the most. Oh, jeez, yeah. Talk about feels. Oh, my gosh. So the winner is Johnny Greenwood for Spencer. This score... Came out of nowhere. It it makes you feel uncomfortable. It made me feel like I was watching a horror movie, just with the discordant strings. We watched this movie on different days, and we both had the same comment. Because I didn't really say anything, because I didn't want to give anything away. Uh-huh. And then Tia messages me. And says, this soundtrack, is this a slasher? And it's, I, yeah. And I remember having to pause it and double check to make sure I selected the right movie to watch. You know, like I didn't, you know, fat finger and put in some some other, you know, horror suspense thriller. Because that's, it feels like it could be in a psychological suspense horror. Which really, when you think about the way that she was treated. It was. It was. Yeah. 100%. And this this score does such a great job of showing that that I feel like you could take this score and you could lift it and you could put it over certain parts of Hereditary and it would work. Yeah. You could put it over certain parts of The Vich and it would work. It would also work for something like Rosemary's Baby. Absolutely. Anything where you've got this character who just is under attack, it's them against everything else, mm-hmm. it would just be perfect for. And I just... Again, like I said, it made me so uncomfortable. Yeah. This portion of the TBD Awards is brought to you by Lizzie, a.k.a. Carnage Candy. Check her out on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok. (laughs) What? You're adorable. Thank you. I mean, it's the best thing we could get for paid content. And honestly, I like it. Mm -hmm. I do good ad reads. You do do good ad reads. Yes, I said Dude, <laughs> you said dude. I was about to say hit me up, Hello Fresh, but uh, never mind. <laughs> I don't think they want to now. <laughs> what? Because I said dude. Because you said dude. <laughs> I don't. Sh- Hello Fresh is like I'm not sure this is the kind of podcast we want to promote on. Nothing but foul language and toilet humor. <laughs> <sighs> All right, we are moving right along to performances. Mm-hmm. The actors. The, the people, people you came to see. Exactly. I have a lot of respect for actors. Yes. It's not as easy as people think it is. It's no. super not. It's a lot of work to get anywhere. So let's celebrate some actors. Yes. First category we have is best ensemble cast. Ah, the folks who can get along. The Well, because ensemble cast, for me, it is everybody was integral. Yeah. It wasn't just like one character was the most important. It's like we needed everybody. Yeah, everybody's got to show up, otherwise we can't go on. Right. Well, and then the, you think of stuff like team-ups, like the Avengers and the Justice League and stuff like that. Those are ensembles. Right. So Best Ensemble Cast nominations are 
Gunpowder Milkshake, The Suicide Squad, Fear Street, Army of the Dead, Sing 2, and Eternals. Yeah. And I know you guys are thinking Sing 2, isn't that animated? Yeah, but everybody's important. Everybody's important, and that cast is stacked. It is. It's so good. Uh, So the winner is The Suicide Squad. Yeah. The main ensemble being Margot Robbie, Idris Elba, John Cena, Joel Kinnaman, Sylvester Stallone, David Dosmalchian, Daniela Melchior, and Peter Capaldi. That's a stacked cast. It is. Well, and that's not even counting the people that were in all the marketing. And in the first five minutes. And in the first five minutes of the movie. Which, that's just such a fucking James Gunn thing to do to make the, the whole marketing push... Was we've got Pete Davidson and Michael Rooker and Nathan Fillion and look at all these people that we got in this movie. And then all of them are gone in the space of five minutes. <laughs> and then say, that's okay. We don't need them. We got this other group right here. Check right, this precisely. out. It just, it was so good. <laughs> and even just, I love the, some of the camaraderie, like when they're all going to that bar I love the going through that camp, which they think is an enemy camp, and trying to one up each other, and then realizing, "Oops, this was the resistance camp." Right, row. Oops, oopsie doodles. Yeah. So one category that not a lot of award shows have, but I think deserves to be included more, is best voiceover performance, mm. because there is something about not just disguising your voice. But embodying a character so much just through your vocal performance alone. Yeah. And it doesn't always have to be disguised. Sometimes just placing your voice in either an animated or otherwise presented film. It could be a talking computer, such as, I mean, HAL 9000. Uh Uh-huh. That's a voiceover performance that really sticks with you and is needed for the film to work. Absolutely. I mean, voiceover is not just for video games, but is also used in many different kinds of films yeah so our nominees for best voiceover performance are aquafina as sisu in raya and the last dragon tom hardy as venom and venom let there be carnage halsey as portia crystal in sing 2 adam buxton as klaus kick and clobber in sing 2 stephanie beatrice as mirabel madrigal in Encanto. And Sylvester Stallone as Nanawe, a.k.a. King Shark, in The Suicide Squad. That is just a random, the most random assortment of freaking characters and actors. Yeah. But the winner is Stephanie Beatriz as Mirabel Madrigal in Encanto. I feel like she really embodied that character. Mm-hmm. And you would not think that that would be her voice. Because the, the only other main thing I've seen her in... Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Other than, yeah, other than uh, In the Heights was Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And Rosa Diaz is a completely different person from Mirabel Madrigal. Right. Which also helps illustrate that the actor is not the character. Right. Precisely. I just feel like she did a good job. She also did her own singing. Which was fantastic. And that really helped sell it for me. Absolutely. Just the the raw emotion that comes across in her performance. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel it was very good. Next, we moved on to Best Supporting Roles. The nominees for Best Supporting Actress are Sarah Lancashire as Margaret New in Everybody's Talking About Jamie, Kate Blanchett as Lilith Ritter in Nightmare Alley, Florence Pugh as Yelena Belova in Black Widow, Tig Notaro as Peters in Army of the Dead, 
Daniela Melchior as Cleo Cazzo, a.k.a. Ratcatcher 2, in The Suicide Squad, and Aquafina as Katie in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So I made a very strong case for our winner that mm-hmm. David David agreed with when I when I ultimately went with it. Yeah, it, yeah it eventually. Was eventually. The winner is Florence Pugh as Yelena Belova in Black Widow. And here's why. She just so embodies that character. First, I love Florence Pugh in general. She's great in everything I've ever seen her in. She's amazing in Midsummer, mm-hmm. But she really embodies Yelena to the point that when she has shown up in other things, I have gotten so excited. It's like my best friend has come over to visit that I haven't seen in forever. Yeah, I love her no-nonsense attitude. I love that she calls everybody on their bullshit. Yeah. especially Natasha when she's like calls her out on being a poser and she's like why do you pose it looks so ridiculous and then you do this thing where you flip your hair and, and then mean, later she does it and she's like oh god that feels awful <laughs> and the thing is a lot of that can be attested to the writing but you know when when looking at an acting performance we also have to say okay could anybody do this mm-hmm. and I can't honestly say I can see her see that I can't character. imagine somebody else no. playing that character. I just can't. And I'm sure we've all seen a movie where it's like, okay, take your favorite movie, take your favorite character in the movie, now replace them with someone else. Mm-hmm. Replace them with Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Or Woody Harrelson. Cannot be done. This is just when I feel like she just did such a great job. Yeah. She's just amazing. So next we are moving on to Best Supporting Actor. I, this was, I think, another tough one for us. This was very tough. So the nominees are Lakeith Stanfield as Bill O'Neill in Judas and the Black Messiah. Richard E. Grant as Hugo Battersby, a.k.a. Loco Chanel in Everybody's Talking About Jamie. Alex Wolfe as Amir in Pig. David Harbour as Red Guardian in Black Widow. Benedict Cumberbatch as Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Couch in The Mauritanian. And David Dasmalchian as Abner Krill, a.k.a. Polka Dot Man, in The Suicide Squad. And the winner is Alex Wolfe as Amir in Pig. Because that that performance made me feel things. Yeah. The whole movie is good, and it was... That's another one that was marketed poorly, because I think a lot of people, when they first saw the trailers, they thought it was John Wick with a pig. Yeah. And Nicolas Cage, which it absolutely is not. No. It is definitely more of a, a thoughtful character piece. And I, I I feel like, yeah, Wolf really made that whole mm-hmm. journey possible. Yeah, from his initial... Literally. Yeah, from his initial affectation of, I'm just here for my truffles, I don't give a shit about you, to his realization of his part in what's going on. And, what, and just where he comes into play. Yeah. Exactly. Just the, just his change in attitude. It's such a good performance. And he's done great work before because he was amazing in Hereditary. Right. But I feel like this gave him a chance to do something a little different or, well, really vastly different from Hereditary, if you think about it. And I'm I'm excited to see him do more. Yeah. I mean, he's a young kid. I think he's only in his early 20s. Yeah. So he's got plenty of time left in his career. I'm excited to see where he goes from here. Welcome to Getting Old, where you see someone in the 20s and go, I'm, ah, look at that young kid. I know. I know. I'm sorry. These kids running around in their 30s, just doing whatever, listening to the rock and roll. Fuck. Fuck off. <laughs> Shackass. You know what I mean, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
And I mean, a lot of these categories, by the way, you know, we're whipping through the nominees because otherwise we could spend an entire episode on each category because that's about what the discussions were. Yeah. An episode length discussion on each category. Hence why the list was technically published on Sunday instead of Saturday, like I said, because because we took we it took us a lot more time to get the list down of our nominees than I thought it would. Yeah. I was like, oh, this will only take an hour, an hour and a half, three hours. Yeah. <laughs> so next, we are moving to Best Actress. Mm. Yes. This this one was easy, ultimately. The final choice was easy. But here's our nominees. Well, easy, but in a very, very solid crowd. Right. Yeah. All of these performances are great. I mean, this is the best grouping we had, and then we chose amongst them. Precisely. So our nominees for Best Actress are... Jessica Chastain as Tammy Faye Baker in the Eyes of Tammy Faye. Kristen Stewart as Diana, Princess of Wales and Spencer. Rebecca Hall as Beth in The Night House. Kiana Madeira as Dina Johnson in Fear Street. McKenna Grace as Phoebe in Ghostbusters Afterlife. And Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn in The Suicide Squad. This... This whole process has shocked me yeah. as, as far as preconceptions and everything else, too. Mm-hmm. Our winner is Kristen Stewart as Diana, Princess of Wales, and Spencer. You could, if you had told me 10 years ago that the girl from Twilight was going to go on and be the most accurate portrayal of Princess Diana to be ever be put to film, I would have laughed in your face. But there are interviews with people who knew her. Specifically, I know there's a former bodyguard and the actual, the chef that, that is in the film, mm-hmm. that's a real guy. That's not him playing himself, but, right. but that chef is a real person. They went and saw the movie and said, of all the people to play Diana, she's got it the closest. Her mannerisms, her accent, her, the vocal quality, everything was just perfect. And for any naysayers on Kristen Stewart, you're welcome to have your opinion. But let me challenge you with this go watch the movie. Mm-hmm. I could not tell you while watching the movie who was playing it because I was like, it's Diana. Well, and you know that game she plays with the boys? Mm-hmm. That was all ad-libbed. Oh, wow. That was not scripted. That was just her being Diana. Wow. Yeah. And it, it's just, I am so, I've never been so happy to be so wrong about an actress. Yeah. Does that make sense? And again, this is one, this is, you know, one of those movies where I didn't really have much interest in watching it until I started watching it. Because you look at, because Kristen Stewart, you're like, ugh, the girl from Twilight. But she has twice recently proved to me that she's good. Oh, yeah. Underwater. Underwater was also amazing. But this, Spencer is just worlds above. One of the best performances I have ever seen. Especially as a character in a biopic. She made me hurt. I ached for her. Yeah. Ugh. Now I'm trying not to cry. (laughs) Our last acting category is Best Actor, Mm. obviously, because that's how things work. Our nominees are Daniel Kaluuya as Fred Hampton in Judas and the Black Messiah. Andrew Garfield as Jonathan Larson in Tick, Tick, Boom. Nicolas Cage as Robin Feld in Pig. Yahya Abdul-Mateen II as Anthony in Candyman. Tahar Rahim as Muhammadu Old Slahi in The Mauritanian, and Bradley Cooper as Stanton Carlisle in Nightmare Alley. 
again a tough field it it was so tough because tahar rahim did such a good fucking job daniel kaluuya did an amazing job it just this is such a stacked category because all of these actors did such a great fucking job with what they were given yeah ultimately we ended up going with our winner as nicholas cage now for those of you who are freaking out because you're like wait nicholas cage yes nicholas cage Nicolas Cage as Robin Feld in Pig was so amazing. Again, he made me feel things. And the main scene that makes me pick him is there is a scene where Robin and Amir go to this restaurant that is run by someone who used to work for for Robin. Mm -hmm. And it's this whole molecular gastronomy like breaking stuff down into yeah, different deconstructed like, this deconstructed and, yeah. the, it's it's very weird and the dressing down that he gives this chef who used to work for him who takes one look at robin and thinks he's just some bum until he he realizes yeah. it's his former boss because the whole film nicholas cage's character robin has like blood on the side of his head long scraggly hair long scraggly beard Looks like he's been living rough on the streets. Yeah. But he is still so respected as a chef that when he's in this guy's restaurant and is giving him a dressing down and being like, why are you doing this? Is this really the kind of food you want to serve? It It's such, it's still so great that this you can see this other guy's face just start to fall. Mm-hmm. And it's just so it's such a great performance. I I needed to nominate him for that scene alone, but that scene is also part of why he wins. Yeah. Don't sleep on Pig. It's so good. Yeah, seriously. It's not... Throw anything you think... Out the window. Out the window. Go into it as blind as possible. Forget about the trailers. Forget about the fact that you think Nicolas Cage is a crazy guy. He's done some wacky stuff. Absolutely. But this is so spot on amazing to me. We're getting down to our final things. Yeah, we've got like, what, 25 more categories? Well, not 25. It don't feels be a, like it. Don't be a butt. <laughs> Next, we're going to Best Director. Mm, that's a lot of responsibility. It is. Nominees are Lee Janiak for Fear Street, Shaka King for Judas and the Black Messiah, Michael Sarnowski for Pig, Guillermo del Toro for Nightmare Alley, Pablo Laurent for Spencer, and Kevin McDonald for the Mauritanian. Now, our winner is Lee Janiak for Fear Street, and here is why. It takes a true talent to make three, what seems like three distinctly different films, and they do have distinctly different looks. And, and feels and, and just feels general flavor. And gener- exactly. But to have them all be part of a greater story and weave together so seamlessly like that, Mm -hmm. that you could watch it as one long movie, very few directors can pull that off. And have all of the pieces fit in place and not have, well, the the middle part's kind of weak, but the beginning and the end are good. That's usually what you walk away with. The only other time I feel like that has been done successfully Mm -hmm. is The Lord of the Rings. Even then, I kind of felt the second movie was kind of weak, but that's just my own personal right. opinion. Please don't add me on, on Lord of the Rings. It's It's been over a decade. But you know what I mean, is that yeah. you could, they because of the way that was filmed, it could basically be one long movie. Right. And it would be, and it would work. I feel like Fear Street is the same way. Yeah. So, congratulations, well done, Lee Janiak. And I mean, that, that's, a, that's a tough 
role to fill, director, because ultimately if a movie does poorly, they don't say, oh, that was Spotlight Pictures' failure. That was, you know, Paramount's failure. They say, that was Spielberg. That was... It's on the director and the actors. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or, you know, such and such actor ruined the movie. When really, it it all comes down to the captain of the ship, and that's the director. Mm Mm-hmm. So next we are looking at screenplays. Hmm. Again, not hidden behind an ad. Mm-hmm. Best adapted screenplay. And an adapted screenplay, again, it's something that f- comes from an existing work or an existing thing. So if it's based on a documentary or a book or a piece of history, I would consider that an adaptation, especially if it tries its hardest to be accurate to the history. Right. I consider that to be an adaptation. I don't consider that... If you're, if you're playing real people in real situations, I consider that an adaptation. By the same token, if you're playing a comic book character pulled from a comic book, that's also an adaptation. Precisely. Or bringing a musical from the stage to the screen. Mm-hmm. So Best Adapted Screenplay, our nominees are Everybody's Talking About Jamie, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Judas and the Black Messiah, Fear Street, and The Mauritanian. And our winner is Judas and the Black Messiah, written by Will Burnson and Shaka King from a story by Lenny and Keith Lucas. But again, it's based in history. Right. Fred Hampton was a real guy. Bill O'Neill was a real guy. And as great as the other films that are nominated in this particular category are, Judas and the Black Messiah made me go and look at other history. Mm-hmm. because I went into this movie knowing very little about Fred Hampton and the Black Panther Party. Right. I had heard the term Rainbow Coalition before, but I didn't really know exactly what it meant. So to watch this film and then go and do research and look at the kind of stuff that the Black Panthers and Fred Hampton did and tried to do, And that those things were ultimately what led to him being seen as a threat by the people in power. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot ultimately from this movie because it made me go and and look at other things. This is the film that made me really start to realize how little I had been taught Mm -hmm. in school when it comes to history. And start on this journey of teaching myself about... Welcome. (laughs) Yeah, teaching I've been my, doing that my whole life. No, exactly. Uh, no, I know, but like, we shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to. But this made me go out and want yeah. to learn more, and ultimately, I did. Right. So that I feel is what makes it a great adaptation. Is is it made me go outside the film to explore and to educate myself? Because the the contents of it is covered in a, a decent way. In the documentary Eyes on the Prize, it's a whole series yeah. uh, that was done by PBS. But, you know, you've got, what, 10 hours of documentary who's, you know, I mean, I, I watched it in school, but I was part of like a special program or whatever. But mm-hmm. if I present to you, hey, let's watch this documentary series or, hey, let's watch this movie and, and learn something, mm-hmm. the movie is a lot more digestible and it can reach more people. Precisely. So that's, that's I think, a really deft hand at, at writing that yeah so next we have best original screenplay and original screenplay is exactly what it sounds like it was it's an original thing it didn't exist in any other way before this world premiere original screenplay you're sounding very mtv when you do that reminds me of making the video (laughs) i I just think of like the the uh 
VGAs and stuff. Mm, like yeah. Every, every 45 seconds, world premiere. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, that's you. So, Best Original Screenplay, our nominees are Free Guy, Pig, Gunpowder Milkshake, Ghostbusters Afterlife, and Encanto. Mm-hmm. And our winner is Free Guy by Matt Lieberman and Zach Penn. Yeah. One of the reasons, so as good as Pig was, that was more about the performance, I feel, than, mm-hmm. than the script. Whereas I really appreciated what Free Guy had to say when it comes to the idea of what does it mean to be human? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be real? Does having a physical form make you more or less real than an artificial intelligence? And with as many people who have been on lockdown or isolated from other people, you probably start feeling less real. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of touches home. And, you know, there's that great dialogue bit of it's like, who cares if I'm real or not? Who cares if I'm real or not? You're my best friend and I'm helping you with a problem and I care about you. And if that's not real, I don't know what is. Yeah. It, it, it is a very, it touches on the concepts of reality that I feel like Charlie Brooker kind of touched on when it comes to some certain things in, in Black Mirror. Yeah. But with in a, a more nuanced, with less terrifying and in a more, um more interesting way yeah all right so let's get down to the brass tacks dun, 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 dun. i think i'll bring in the tap dancers now i really do like the sound of tap dancing i don't know why <laughs> it's weird i don't know why i like it i'm well, not the only person that likes it i think i'm pretty sure kelsey does too well there you go anyway so we again broke down movie of the year by genre because I feel like to, again, to relegate every single movie to the same standards is unfair to me. Yeah. So first, our superhero movie of the year. And it's not all Marvel. You are correct. It's not. (laughs) It, It mostly is. But that's not our fault. No. So hero movie of the year. The nominees are Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Eternals. The Suicide Squad, Black Widow, and Venom Let There Be Carnage. Mm, Yeah. And our winner is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Do you want to talk, give a little information or talk about why you think that's the best one? It's really good. (laughs) What? I do. I Yeah, it is really good, but I feel like it's also, it's, it did something different. Yeah. All of these nominees are fantastic films. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like this one just kind of stepped forward uh, an extra step ahead as far as production and themes and performance and visuals and sound. Think all the other categories we've talked about. Round them up and say, okay, who who of these brought the whole package consistently, compellingly? Like, you ha- if, if you're watching it at home, you had to pause it if you're going to go to the bathroom rather than just be like, oh, don't worry, I can hear it from here. Yeah. No, you, you're not missing a beat and and that's really what that that's that's one of the big factors yeah. for me is is I didn't want to blink. Yeah. It was a great movie. It felt short. It felt too short to me. But it wasn't short. But it wasn't. And if you can bring a feature length film or even a, a somewhat longer, some of the movies we watched were well over 2 hours. Mhm. If it feels shorter than that, if it feels like it's a 90 minute film, yeah. They're doing something right. Mhm. So our next category is Action Movie of the Year. Ooh. See, the, the, this one definitely needs to have some pacing. Uh-huh. Our nominees are Free Guy, 
The Matrix Resurrections, Gunpowder Milkshake, The King's Man, and Jungle Cruise. It could have gone various ways. Oh, yeah. But our winner ultimately is Gunpowder Milkshake. Yeah. It did something new. Mm -hmm. It felt so fresh. The trailer didn't lie. Yeah. There were lots of little bits that I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. The overall story I felt was good, and I felt that the characters were well fleshed out. Yeah. Ultimately, it was just a lot of fun. It was a fun ride, and I feel like that's what an action film should be, is mm-hmm. is a ride, once you're off the ride, you want to grab a friend and say, hey, let's let's go on this ride. You I just need went. To, yeah, you, you, need you, to, you need to watch it. Exactly. Next, we move on to Horror Movie of the Year, which mm. probably is what y'all were waiting for, because that's what the show is about, but you know. The nominees are Fear Street, Malignant, Black Friday, The Unholy, Ghostbusters Afterlife, and Candyman. And I'm sure this is no surprise if you've been listening to this so far that the winner is Fear Street. Cue the eye roll. It went from strength to strength. It did. Soundtrack, costuming, everything is just fucking perfect. And it tells a... Again, I, I know I've said this before already, but... To be able to tell disparate stories that also meld in a cohesive, overarching narrative, basically like is a really impressive. long, like a long anthology film. It is, and it's so impressive. Yeah, it's one of those ones where even if you're not really a fan of horror movies, I highly suggest watching it. And now, because it is three parts, it's a lot as one long movie. Yeah, but if you've got a day free. <laughs> You know, get some of your favorite snack and some of your favorite drink and... That's right. One snack. One snack only. Well, no, you can have multiple snacks. Oh, okay. Get, okay, fine. Get some of your favorite snacks. <laughs> Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Jackass. <laughs> get your favorite candy. Get your favorite sweet snack. Get your favorite savory snack. Get your favorite cheesy snack. All the snacks. Get your frozen foods ready. Yeah, because it's going to be a day, but it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. So the next is a weird kind of category. Category I haven't seen in many award shows. It doesn't, I don't think it's a thing anywhere else. (laughs) I think we made it up and I'm fine with that. Yes. So sometimes you get a movie that is just so over the top Mm -hmm. that it doesn't really fit anywhere else. It's just so wild and crazy and so what the fuck. Mm Mm-hmm. That it doesn't belong in any other category. And so this is our over the top or OTT movie of the year. Our nominees are Army of the Dead, mm-hmm. Willy's Wonderland, Mortal Kombat, Space Jam, A New Legacy, and Godzilla vs. Kong. And our winner, which this one, I th- it was, that was another easy one, I think. Yeah. If I remember correctly, our winner is Willy's Wonderland, mm-hmm. which a lot of people basically have called like Five Nights at Freddy's the movie. It's so much more than that. And it's not connected to. It's not connected to FNAF, FNAF. at all. Yeah. It's these possessed animatronics at a disused like pizza parlor birthday thing. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I wasn't going to say that because oh. I didn't want to get sued. Oh, uh, you know the place. Yeah. And Nicolas Cage 
Again, it's Nicolas Cage. Most quotable movie. Seriously. Like like this line. Yeah. That's a bit because, no, this character does not talk. The entire film. He cleans and plays pinball and drinks soda. Oh, and fights. And fights. If and you, glares. It's, it's just so great. It's definitely a turn your brain off kind of movie. But the first time I watched it, because I've seen it twice now. Mm-hmm. I'm watching it and I'm just like, I'm at work and I'm just eating my lunch and and some of the fighting starts to pop off and I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. And then you get another fight later and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> and I mean, there, there's other actors in it too that have dialogue and they're fine too. Right, but, but that's not what you're there for. You're there to watch Nicolas Cage curb stomp an animatronic gorilla into a urinal. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... It's so weird and so great. I can't I can't recommend it enough. That's why it's our movie of the year for Over the Top. Also, for pattern enthusiasts, you'll like this film. Because there is a rhythm and a pattern that starts taking place. And if that soothes you, yeah. you'll like this movie. Yeah, absolutely. So we're moving on to animated film of the year. Oh, good. Something more normal. Yeah. It's not all Disney. You'll be happy to know, everybody. Mm-hmm. There's only three Disney movies on it. So our animated film of the year nominees are Encanto, Raya and the Last Dragon, Luca, Vivo, The Mitchells vs. the Machines, and Sing 2. Now, I will say all of these are great movies. I recommend watching all of them. I didn't have plans on watching any of them until we came up with this whole gimmick and I wound up watching six animated films. Yeah. And Um, I liked them all, so... There you go. And as much as I love Sing 2 and its message on the healing power of music mm-hmm. and Mitchell's versus the Machines reminds me of me and my dad. Mm-hmm. Our winner is Raya and the Last Dragon. Yeah. I hadn't even heard of it until Tia brought it up. I just saw it on Disney Plus. I saw it mentioned. Huh. And I was in this weird mood where I just wanted to watch like feel good animated kind of stuff. Because mm-hmm. I think there was that one day where I watched... Raya and then Luca mm-hmm. and it's just such a beautiful story that's so well told mm-hmm. you will laugh you might tear up and it's it tells a, it does teach a very important lesson on misconceptions and mm-hmm. not letting stereotypes um, or, preconceptions. or preconceptions cloud or- your judgment everybody is important everybody has a part to play and forgiveness and forgiveness, yeah. All the performances are great, mm-hmm. as far as like the vocal performances and everything. And it's just beautiful to look at. And it's not a musical. And it's not a musical, yeah. I mean, there's pretty music in it, but it's not... Right. It's not like where I'm going to sing because my, my friend betrayed me or something. Right, know? precisely. So yeah, Riot and the Last Dragon is our best animated film. We are also fortunate enough to get to have enough musicals that we could do Musical of the Year. Oh, shit. I mean, yay. <laughs> I thought you liked musicals. I like good musicals. Look, okay. Full disclosure, Dear Evan Hansen is not on the list. Yeah. Because I was kind of meh on it. I tapped out an hour in. And I allowed David to tap out. <laughs> I, I, I said, I will stick it through the rest of it. I just... And I and, and then I, mean, I said, I'm not nominated for anything. And he was like, nope, we're done. All, all, all <laughs> respect to the cast, crew, everything involved. It's just, it was not for me. And yeah, I don't feel like I could judge it fairly 
if I was not enjoying it within the first hour, it wasn't going to get me anywhere. And that's fair. And so really in fairness, I I had to tap out and omit. So yeah, honorable mention for showing up and not being included. Yeah, there you go. So musical of the year, our nominees are Cinderella. Everybody's talking about Jamie. Tick, tick, boom. In the Heights. Encanto. And Sing 2. And not all of these were written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. No. Um, only one of them was. Two? What's the other one? Oh, In the Heights. Right. My bad. <laughs> Forgot. <laughs> Forgot. Uh, so our winner is Everybody's Talking About Jamie. Yeah. I appreciated the story that it had to tell. Mm-hmm. It is based on a true story. Jamie New is a real person. But just the writing and the songs and I love that the, ultimately the the bully even gets to realize that maybe they were wrong, which seems saccharine and weird. But like, I, I want that to happen more. Yeah. I would much rather continue having movies where the bully learns a lesson and wants to change than is punished. Right. And this was honestly another one where I feel like the marketing did not do well because it did not sell it to me. I was, I was like, I guess I'll get this out of the way type mindset mm-hmm. when I was going through again this litany of what was it, a total grand total. It was just of under fifty films, forty six films in a month and a half. Yeah, and I don't have the luxury of watching films at work, so yeah, I was, I was, I was feeling some surface pressure. Yeah, <laughs> and. And I'm like, okay, I'll just knock this out. Right. And within minutes, I'm like, okay, okay, we're here. Yeah. We're good. So good our time. last genre category is drama movie of the year. Yes. The nominees are Judas and the Black Messiah, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Spencer, Pig, The Mauritanian, and Nightmare Alley. This was another hard one. But ultimately, David made a very good case. And the winner is the Mauritanian. So for those of you who are unaware, the Mauritanian is based on a book called Guantanamo Diary. It was written by someone while they were still interred at Guantanamo Bay. Mm -hmm. And is about everything that he endured while he was there for what is it like he got... He got a phone call from somebody. One of his cousins. One of his cousins was using Bin Laden's satellite phone and called him. Which, if you think about it, think of, like, if your parents had you on their cell phone plan, it would register as their cell phone. So if you have a bunch of satellite phones, it's not like anything under direction. Yeah, so based based on this, he was assumed to be basically the orchestrator and recruiter... For 9-11. Right. And so the the film, The Mauritanian, is largely about a lawyer taking his case pro bono mm-hmm. to try and uh, it's about uh, habeas corpus. Right. Which sounds like really riveting. You know, that's the film I want to sign up for. A legal drama about habeas corpus. It's not it's not really a legal drama. Just it's not. It's it's so much more than that. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. My my main argument for this film was that while all of these performances, all of these film, drama films were fantastic, I felt like the Mauritanian told a story 
that gave some insight into things that we don't get to see every day. Mm-hmm. And things that we don't like to think about. Because I feel like most most people don't like to think about the things that their government does. Right. Americans, I feel like in general, we don't like to think about the things that our government has done in the past and even currently mm. under the guise of keeping peace. And or security. Security and justice and... There is none. Right. So. What, and some of the things that they've done when in reality it's just about maintaining the status quo. Yeah. Or, you know, it's that it's that whole classic trope of, you know, the, the mayor's on our back because we've got to arrest somebody for this crime. Right. Only it's, on a global scale. And that was the that was the unfortunate thing about Slahi is they needed somebody to blame for certain aspects of 9-11. And they picked him. Who was not involved. Who was not involved in any way, shape, or form. He happened to know some of the people who were involved in other stuff. Like, it was all happenstance. Right. Like, think about being... Think about spending a large chunk of your life in prison. Because you happen to be Facebook friends. Being tortured because you happened to work with one guy Mm -hmm. at a McDonald's when you were 16. Right. Right. It's that tenuous of a through line from Mm -hmm. him to anybody else. And it's just the stuff he went through is just absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. It's. It's not sugarcoated. No, not at all. Um, well, I mean, it, it is a, a little bit. It's toned down a bit, but it's, it's still hard to watch. toned down a bit, but still. I feel like this is an important film for everyone to see. But, Amer- <laughs> but Americans in particular. You don't have to like it. You just need to experience it. You have to experience it and you have to acknowledge it. Yeah. Because the things that were done there ultimately were done. If you're an American, they were done on your behalf. Yeah. They were done on my behalf. Yeah. And I'm not okay with that. And I think this movie brings things to the fore that need to be brought forward. Yeah, we need to be better people. Mm-hmm. Not not just Americans, but like globally, we all right. need to be better people. Because ultimately, we we knew then, just like we know now, torture doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Any confession obtained under duress is bullshit. Yeah, because it's just telling you what you want to hear to They'll make it They'll tell stop. you what you want to hear to make the pain stop. Yep. So... I highly recommend this movie. It's it will it will make you angry and it will make you feel. And ultimately, I think that's what makes it a great drama movie. And that's OK. Yeah. It's it's OK to feel mm-hmm. if you need to watch it alone because you don't you're afraid other people will watch you feeling things. That's fine. That that's OK for now. Yeah. You're going to have to feel things. though. So. So next is movie of the year, which this is the only thing we didn't release the nominees for because the way that we decided to do movie of the year is each thing that won movie of the year for its individual category would be in contention for the best movie of 2021. Mm-hmm. So even we don't know what's going to win <laughs> because we didn't decide this until a few minutes from now, because yeah. l- let me give you the breakdown yeah. for, for numbers people, just to give you a rundown of the candidates for this category, uh-huh. if I may. Yeah, go for it. So our nominees for Movie of the Year, we have The Mauritanian, which has one. Mm-hmm. Fear Street, which has four wins so far. Raya and the Last Dragon has one. Everybody's Talking About Jamie has one. Gunpowder Milkshake has two. Willy's Wonderland has one. And Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings has two. 
Mm-hmm. But it's still anybody's game because it's, I have no idea. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Hmm. Because really, what what makes a movie the movie of the year? Is it the movie that is the best? Is it something that you would want to rewatch? Or is it something that you would recommend to other people? Or is it a combination of all of those things? I have my pick that I feel like just based on the last few minutes of conversation, mm. I feel like it. I feel like it's the one that if I had to recommend one of these films to somebody, it's the film I would recommend because I feel like it's so important. And that is the Mauritanian. Mm-hmm. The performances, the story that it has to tell, the directing, it is overall just a very, it's a very good movie. But again, as we said, it's very important. The story that it has to tell is so important. Mm-hmm. Because this is this was not that long ago. Yeah. I mean, this was this is my lifetime. Yeah. Um, the people that are in this movie, they're still alive. Mm-hmm. I mean, shit, the character Benedict Cumberbatch plays is currently a judge for the Department of um, Immigration. Yeah. And the characters that Jodie Foster and Shailene Woodley play are still kicking and have, have yeah. continued to fight. Yeah. Jodie Foster's fights. character has done a, a one other Guantanamo case. Yeah. And it just, as good as all the other movies on this list are, I think about if I had to recommend one of these movies to my parents, mm-hmm. some of them I know they've already seen. Like, I know they've seen, I know my mom has seen Shang-Chi and Raya. Mm-hmm. My folks aren't really into musicals. I don't know how they'd feel about Gunpowder Milkshake and Willy's Wonderland, and they're not into horror movies. I could try, I could recommend them, but they wouldn't, they probably wouldn't watch them. Right. I feel like they would watch the Mauritanian. I feel like my dad would pick up a copy of Guantanamo Diary. Yeah. And read it. And I feel like I could recommend, because I, I, I like what you're, you're saying here is, you know, it's not like what you felt was the best performance overall or what was the most flashy or what was the most, you know, what had the catchiest tunes to it. Yeah. But it's like, which one would you say, turn to somebody and say, you know what, if you're going to watch any movie, watch this one. Yeah. I, I will put my... You need to see this movie. I would recommend, I, I agree, I would recommend The Mauritanian to any of my coworkers. I would recommend it to your parents as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fair movie. Yeah. About an unfair practice. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't, there's no big bad. There's, there's no one person saying, oh, but we're going to get them and we're going to do this. Right. It, it captures the mindset. It captures the process. And ultimately, they captured the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. And... And it, this movie, yeah. it, this movie does not have a happy ending. I mean... I, I mean, it, it has a happy ending and then it pulls the rug out from under you. I mean, there's still bittersweet. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's it's not like everyone loses. Okay? No, but it's one of those endings where you can sit there and go, okay, well, it could have turned out a whole yeah. lot worse. Yeah, nobody loses, but nobody really wins. If that makes any kind of weird sense. Fair. So yeah, our movie of the year is the Mauritanian. How do you feel about that? I feel I feel fine about that, honestly. Like I said, it's I feel like it's an important movie, and as good as. As good as Riot and the Last Dragon is, and Shang-Chi, and I love Fear Street, but the Mauritanian is the one that really made me 
think about things that maybe I didn't necessarily want to think about, Mm -hmm. but needed to. So here's a modified recommendation. Okay. Take our movie of the year, the Mauritanian. Mm -hmm. Sit down, you know, give yourself the time, pay attention, put the phone down, whatever. Watch the movie. Uh Uh-huh. Then, sometimes when we watch a particularly rough horror film or a docu-series that that we look at and go, wow, we yeah. were, the past was the worst. Yeah. Pick any of the other movies of the year or anything we've named. Watch one of those and kind of cleanse your palate a little yeah. bit because you're you're, you're going to need a chaser, you know, or, or dive deeper into the history, you know, because, mm-hmm. again, this is, you know, this is very strongly based on actual events, actual recent events. Yeah. You know, so it's one of those things where... And I'm going to use a food analogy, and I promise I'm not going to meander too much on this, but we all know what goes on in facilities like Guantanamo in the loosest form of it. Mm -hmm. In other words, you see a restaurant that says they have tacos. You haven't eaten there. You don't know anybody who has eaten there, but you know they have tacos. So it's like, that's all I need to know. And you just drive about your business, you know. This goes into the place and actually looks at the menu. You actually get to try everything, and it's not great. I don't know. I made this taco place bad. I'm I don't depressing. know. That's a weird analogy for Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> well, I guess what I'm trying to say is if you only know surface level, this is a base. We hold people there. I feel like you this, don't know anything. Yeah. I feel like this is the closest short of watching a documentary. Mm-hmm. This is the movie that's going to be the most honest about what happened there. And, and heavily researched. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's one of the things, as far as, like, movies that you need to see, this yeah. is a movie that you need to see. And again, I know I, I know, I said it earlier, especially as an American. Yeah. If you are an American, you need to see this movie. You need to see what people did on your behalf under the guise of keeping us, quote, quote, safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You and, need to see it and acknowledge it. And if you, if you believe everybody should have freedom... You know, fair treatment. Mm-hmm. American or not. Yeah. Humanitarian. Yeah. Because it's rough. Anyway, this has been the first annual TBD Awards. Sorry to end on a, such a downer note. I know I kind of wish we did have Billy Crystal to tell a joke or two. This section brought to you in part by Gray and Liz. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, you all. Sorry, I had to do the make goods on the ads. I know, I know. So yeah, this has been a fun thing. Holy cow. I know, I know. It'll be edited, that's fine. Yes. <laughs> so I think we're going to wrap it up now. As always, you can follow us via our website. Uh, all of our socials are there. It's been updated. Yes, all, <laughs> all of the episodes... I don't think been... either of us realized how long it had been since we updated it, and we are so sorry. Yeah, like, like I, yeah. So sorry, everybody. But you can find links to our Twitter, Facebook. You can email us directly. Uh, you can also find a link to our Patreon. We are patreon.com slash h2horrorcast. Did I actually say what our website is? It's h2horrorcast.com. Yeah. Anyway, but our Patreon, <laughs> you can support us for as little as a dollar a month. We named our current patrons during the ad breaks, so now we don't have to do it again. But thank you all but for, thanks, for still. You know, supporting content like this. Yeah. This was brought to you by listeners like you. Yeah, thank you. If you... This is not PBS. No, it is not. 
They don't swear on PBS. Fuck no. <laughs> um, if you are unable to be a patron, we totally get it. Because again, we're still not there with people we like. But you can rate and review us if you listen to us on a thing that allows rating and reviewing. Yeah. Or you can just share us with a friend also. That would be great. If you've already rated and reviewed us, just share us with people that you think will like us. If you have friends in Vermont. Let them know. Let them know. We still don't have Vermont. <laughs> At this point now, I'm feeling like it's a personal thing. Like they know, they're like, we remember him. I mean, we had a good time in Vermont. It, it, it was nice. Give yeah. us a listen. One yeah. person. That's all I ask. That's fair. Until next time, I'm Tia. And I am still David. And stay spooky, friends. It's going to be a long edit. Yep. Bye. Music for this episode is Save Us Now by Shane Ivers. Our artwork is by Catherine Nixon. <laughs>